This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. There's a swing and a drive to center by Ramos. Back and it goes Ellsbury to the wall. It is gone. Wilson Ramos with a two-run home run and with one swing of the bat, he's given the Rays the lead. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week, take a look around Major League Baseball, and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. The 2-2 now. Check swing on the slider. Strike three. Chris Archer jumps off the mound and bounces his way to the dugout. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Hi, everybody. Welcome to our latest show, the post-All-Star Break edition. We'll hear from Blake Snell today about his All-Star experience, and pitching coach Kyle Snyder tells us why Blake has taken off. Dave Vandy, NBA of Fox Sports Sun, will join us for our monthly roundtable. Plus, Mitch Lukovic will here bring us an overview of a successful year on the farm. We continue on this week in Rays baseball, and with me right now is All-Star Blake Snell. I'm sure that sounds good to you. How, how much fun was the experience for you? No, it was fun. Um, just being able to hang out with those, those caliber of players. and I mean, they're all great guys. It was fun to be able to just talk, just have casual conversations with all of them. Uh, made it a good time for sure, but no, it's definitely something I'll never forget and I'm definitely going to cherish for the rest of my life. What was the best part about the experience? Uh, best part would, I mean, it, it would have to be hanging out with the, the, the teammates that I had and just, just I mean, honestly, just the conversations. That's that's the best part for me. Um, playing in the game was a lot of fun, um, but just being able to talk to those guys for two days straight was something. I mean, I'll never forget. You told me you were going to bum rush Chris Sale, so I assume you did. How that conversation go, and what was it like? It was funny. He actually came up to me first. I went up. To, I went up to get bre- or went down to get breakfast. Uh, met up with Aaron Judge. We were talking for about a minute, and then here comes Chris Sale. And uh, first thing I asked him was, you got any pointers for me? Uh, just messing with him. And he goes, yeah, grip it and rip it. So it didn't help me, but it was something that I'll never forget. And then throughout the, the next two days, him and me talked a lot. Um, very cool guy, very down to earth. Um, very relaxed, just like he pitches, he's very relaxed same way person his personality um and yeah i mean i talked to him a bunch like judge bunch verlander cole the whole astros team uh i mean i really talked to a whole bunch of guys and it it was cool for me um they're all great great guys and it was fun to be able to just to have that opportunity to talk to all of them what did you learn uh i wouldn't say i learned a whole lot honestly uh i just learned that all those guys are very cool human beings and um, that's why I think that's why it makes that game so special is they're great players, but they're also great humans. So, if anything, that's what I learned. When you compete against someone, sometimes you may not like them just because of the way they look on the other side. Was there anyone that 
maybe you didn't have a great opinion of that you hadn't talked to, and then you get to the All-Star game and you're through it, and you're like, hey, he's a pretty good guy. Um, It's kind of weird because the whole team, there was no one that was like – it really stood out to me as a guy that I'm like, oh, I don't – I don't really agree with him much. There wasn't a guy that was like that, which is kind of weird because usually there's a couple of those guys on every team. And that team, though, I mean, there was really no one that stood out like that. A lot of, I mean, just great guys, honestly. I mean, even the Latin guys were messing around with everybody. I mean, it was just, it was like we all knew each other and been around each other for so long. Um, Latins are messing with everyone. Americans are messing with I mean, it was so cool, and it was just, it felt like a team. I mean, it really felt like we've been together for a while. So that made it very cool for me is that I didn't have to, like, try to speak Spanish. They all spoke English, and it, it was cool. It was, like, it was very, like, pure conversations with everybody, and we were all very comfortable with each other. And it also helped that Buffalo was there because I would just go talk to him and be next to him when – uh, Latin guys are speaking Spanish, trying to understand what they're saying, trying to, I don't know, communicate with them in Spanish is always fun. So it was cool to have Buffalo there and be able to just be on his side the whole time to listen and butt into those conversations. How about your family? Um, how much time did you get to spend with them? I know it's a fairly busy schedule. Uh, no, I was with them all night, every, both nights. Uh, we got dinner both nights, and that was a lot of fun. And yeah, I mean, I was with them a bunch. So as much as I wasn't with them d- during the day, I was with them a long time at night, very little sleep. So it was fun just hanging out and being able to enjoy them. So, I mean, I got to enjoy them a lot. I would assume you got a fair amount of swag from the All-Star game. If so, what was the best that you brought with you? And how much did you give to mom and dad? I didn't bring any with me. I gave it all to my family. I think the coolest thing I got is my jersey. That was the only thing I knew I was keeping, and I kept it. Uh, but I did have a pair of cleats that I had every everybody sign, so that was something that was very cool to me uh, and very special that I'll have forever. So I'd say the cleats that I got signed by everybody, that's the best part for sure. You know, in watching the game, um, I don't know if, who, who said it, but during the broadcast they said someone forgot to tell Blake that all guys are up there hunting first pick first pitch fastballs did you hear anything about that afterwards hey you guys could have helped me out a little bit no I mean I'm gonna throw first pitch fastball so hit it and he hit it um maybe those balls are a little juice you know what I'm saying maybe if that ball wasn't juice we're talking it hits the wall um but no I'm just kidding uh Contreras is a good hitter I've played him a lot so I knew what to expect I knew that's what he's gonna do but I wanted to give it to him uh I knew I was gonna be throwing hard so I'm impressed he timed it up on his first at bat. Um, 97 is hard to hit, so for him to hit it out, it's good to him. Uh, next time I face him, I hope he's ready for a changeup and a rollover because that's what will happen. We're calling it right now, and, yeah, I can't wait. And the experience overall, how much does it help you from here on out for the rest of the year? What, do you, what did you take away from it? Uh, yeah, no, I mean, it didn't help me a whole lot for the rest of the year. I, I, I have a lot of things set in my head that aren't going to be wavered by anything. And the way that I pitch through the rest of the season is pure, just me being driven to one goal and uh, not stopping until I get there. And once I get there, continuing to grow and understand there's another goal that I have to chase and that I want to be better than this year, this first half. Uh, I just want to continue to be better than what I am today. And that's all I've been focused on. And it's what's well, helping me be the pitcher I, I am right now, but I still know there's a lot of room to improve, and that's what I'm hunting for, and that's what I really want to be. So 
that's all I really have in mind. Uh, I'm going to continue to stay driven, focused, and just continue to get better and not let anything get in the way of me continuing to learn myself the best I can and be the best me I can be. Do you want to share that one goal that you have for the rest or not yet? But I, won't, I won't ever share my goals. I really won't. Uh, maybe when they're done and finished, but the only person I'll share them with is Kyle Snyder, and he won't share them with you guys. So you can try, but they're not prying out. Good luck the rest of the year. Glad you had a good time. Thank you, Neil. And that is Blake Snell, and we did speak with his pitching coach, Kyle Snyder. He didn't unveil any company secrets, but I asked Kyle where Blake has shown the most improvement over the last year. I think it's, I mean, it's easy to say consistency is something that these guys are always chasing, right? But I, I think just, for, you know, uh, it's a combination of a lot of things that have allowed him to develop more consistent body control, you know, mechanically. I, I think the approach has changed. I think the confidence has grown significantly. Uh, and I think a lot of that's just come from, you know, good performances and, and, and realizing that he, he ultimately belongs at this level. Personally, how proud are you of what he's done in such a short period of time when you look at the big picture? I, I'm proud of, I'm very proud of him. I, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of the man that he's become given that I've known known him since he was 17 years of age. But, I, you know, I'm, I'm certainly proud of what he's accomplished within the last year as well. But, you know, there's, there's a lot more to go. And, and I, I think if there's something I'm probably most proud of, it's his ability to recognize that as well. Is that the hardest part, you think, for a, a young player at this level to realize, to self-evaluate well? I do think that is probably one of the more difficult things for some of these guys to face. And, and, and again, this isn't a knock on any guy, anybody that gets to the big leagues. Uh, you know, but just because you get there doesn't mean that's what you are, you know, and I think recognizing that for some of these guys and really pushing themselves a little bit further and, and, and having that self-discipline, you know, to, to really make the most out of the opportunities that, that, that you get, it, I, I think, is, is the next step for guys that really can do something special in the game. What's the biggest change he's made in terms of his actual stuff, or has he just been able to be in the zone more with his stuff? Um, well, I think... I think the breaking balls have gotten better, uh, maybe more specifically the curveball, probably year over year. Not just the pitch itself or the movement of the pitch um, or the effectiveness of the pitch when you get swings, but the ability to throw it for strikes and then be able to command it outside the zone as well. I think overall the four-pitch mix is is as good as it's been maybe his entire career. Um, coming up through the developmental systems, this changeup was probably the, the, the better of of the three secondary offerings where I think, you know, both breaking balls have gotten significantly better here over the last year, year and a half. The all-star experience that he had, how can it help him going forward? Well, I just think, too, I, like you look, you know, coming up in 16, coming up in 17, both times, you know, um, he'd spent some time in the minor leagues. You know, this being his third year in a major league clubhouse, gets out the gates the way that he finished, you know, 2017. And just more or less being at an all-star game, being surrounded by the game's best and recognizing that he belongs, just even leaving aside the appearance itself, just the simple fact that he realizes that he's, you know, uh, the season that he's had to this point has is, is put him in that conversation. The experience that he had there, too, allowed him also probably to talk to some other guys, whether it's a sale, or who, who knows. How much can that help just to, just to have chats? Because, as you know, starting pitchers really don't have the opportunity to be able to talk with some of the other games best i think it it certainly is going to have an influence on not just the remainder of his career remainder of the season but the rest of his career just getting a chance to talk to other guys about their specific journeys things that they've overcome um 
you know, recognizing to get to the point that Blake's at right now in his career, not not just him, but, you know, everybody else, Archer and, and so many other starting pitchers that have had a tremendous amount of success, you got to go through something, sometimes multiple things, right, to get to the point where, you know, you know each, each one of them and another handful of guys throughout baseball, you know, in terms of what they've achieved and in, 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 in where they've gotten to in their careers, I think that's a, that's a big key is, is having to deal with things and having to overcome specific things to be able to get the most out of yourself. In, in having chats with him, one thing he also talks about is the fact that he still believes there's a lot of room for improvement. So here, after the break, where do you think he can grow the most and why? I think continuing to believe that there's a lot left in the tank, I think, is, is something that I, I've really noticed a difference in him. I, I think coming down midway through last season, recognizing there's things that he needed to address, that he needed to improve on. Um, and also saying, you know what, I want to be as good as I can be in the next five years. And, and it's, it's just been obvious to me. It was obvious to me when I spent a little time with him in the off season. Um, it was obvious to me that, that you know, he had set his, set his goals for the off season to come in as, as ready to go as he could be. And, you know, I think at this point in the season, you know, a lot of the things that he did and how he applied himself this particular winter has is, is certainly paid off. Rays pitching coach Kyle Snyder coming up. Dave Andy and B.A. will join us to discuss this past week for the Rays. We're back after this on the Rays Baseball Network. This week in Rays Baseball, Neil Solon's with you. Now joined by three guys, I guess, from Fox Sports Sun, you could say. We got <laughs> Dave Andy and B.A. It's been a fun weekend for you guys, I hope. Oh, it has. It absolutely has. You got some moving parts, getting to work with the, you know these guys. It's been a lot of fun, for sure. You guys can say that, too. It has been. I think so. <laughs> Are we on? You we know, the, the strange part is I've worked for, with Dave for so long, for 14 years, that it's hard to not call my partner Dave. Neil knows this. I've called him Dave a thousand and one times in B.A., I'm glad I did not follow that the other day. Did Dave call you Andy at all yesterday? He, no, he did not. And listen, boys, I've been called far worse than Andy <laughs> or Dave, so I, I would have been fine with that. Well, we're here on the first weekend after the All-Star break, and there was so much going in good before the break and since then the break is supposed to get guys healthy and it seems like guys are getting hurt every single day you know the, the challenge is i think to not focus on the guys that aren't here but it's hard i mean how do you not notice that duffy hasn't been playing that ramos hasn't been playing that echeverry has been hurt that kiermaier's hurt i mean ba you've been on teams that have gotten injured i'm sure in the past it, it's a challenge to not focus on who's not here i would think no you're absolutely right and and that mantra of next man up yes there is you know truth to that However, you're, they're being tested. They're being tested in a big way with the next man up theory because of all of the guys, not only that are out uh, right now, but how impactful they are when you start to think about what these guys mean to this team. So they are being stretched awfully thin. You take out your best run producer in Wilson Ramos. You take out your best hitter in Matt Duffy. And you take out maybe your most prolific offensive player in Kevin Kiermeyer. Other than that, I don't think they're missing that much <laughs> offensively. But, no, it, it, it is, it's a tough spell here. And then... You know, some moving parts. Here we were, what, uh, two weeks ago. We thought we had too many middle infielders, and now all of a sudden you play a couple of games after the break, and you have to put a right fielder at second base for a few innings because guys are breaking down. So uh, another uh, option today is uh, Justin Williams was sent out, and William mm -hmm. Adamas comes back. He's in the lineup today. But uh, as you said, a lot of moving parts, next man up, all that stuff is all great coach speak. But it's, you know, again, uh, it's tough. When your best players can't be your best players, it's going to be tough to win. 
And I think it's also fair to say now with Justin Williams having played in a game, and obviously, boy, that was a tough spot for him yesterday, but that was the 17th rookie, and, and the Rays are tied with the Marlins for the most rookies used in the majors. And with all those rookies, aren't you going to have some periods where you're going to have your ups and downs, especially more so with younger players? You know, I, I think so, and that's something that actually that Dave and I you know, addressed last night in the ball game is this team has been notoriously streaky all season long. And I think that youth obviously plays a big part in that, where they get on a nice roll for a while, all of a sudden stub their toe, and then can't seem to get out of their own way. You know, you think about that stretch where they went out and, and played the Yankees, they played the Astros, and they played the Nationals on the road. It didn't go very well. Then you get all those teams back at home, and they have that mm -hmm. unbelievable homestand, and you're like, okay, these guys got it. They have figured it out. And then since then, it's it's been a, another roller coaster ride that's not going I mean, well right now. Yep. Eight and eight during the month of July. This was supposed to be the month where the Rays took off and uh, mm -hmm. we're supposed to go on quite the run facing teams that are under 500 and they're just playing 500 themselves. So, you know, we, we didn't necessarily play Rays baseball going into the break uh, against the Minnesota Twins. It was nice to score runs, but we gave up way too many on the uh, defensive side. And now here, as we get the, uh, you know, the second half of the season, as they like to call it, underway and just can't get the bats going. I mean, you know, G-Man's home run might still be going if it weren't for the, uh, <laughs> the the Budweiser porch, or it might have landed, as we said yesterday, in somebody's beer if it wasn't for the netting. But uh, other than that, a lot of soft contact in the first couple of days of the series. Do you guys think that there's something to the fact of the Rays have had a hard time against pitchers, especially that they're unfamiliar with? I mean, they're facing all these Marlins guys really for the first time. There have been several other times this year when you oh, – I don't want to see you look forward to a, a good pitcher on the other team, but all right, at least you know what he brings. You have some sort of experience there. B.A., isn't that a little bit odd when you're seeing different guys? I mean, we almost see it on the other side when the Rays are bringing in different pitchers for every at-bat for the other teams. Nobody ever looks that comfortable. There's something to it when you are having uh, significantly better at-bats against Justin Verlander, right. Garrett Cole, uh -huh. and Charlie Morton Absolutely. than you are against Pablo Lopez and you know some of the other guys that they have faced. And I think that that's something, though, across the game. When you're unfamiliar with a pitcher and there's not a lot to go on, it can be difficult if he is locked in, and last night, let's let's give Pablo Lopez some credit. He was very good with the two-seamer and, and the change-up, the get-me-over curveball for strike one. And, you know, when you're able to do that, a team that's unfamiliar with you, you got a chance to put him in a corner, and that's what he did. And, and how much of that also, you know, we, we talked about the guys missing, but also when you have a four-day layoff as a player from the All-Star break, hitting is so difficult, and I think sometimes we forget that, that you were in a good rhythm against Minnesota, and sometimes that first series, he can be a, real, a bit sluggish offensively. Yeah, B.A. brought it up yesterday during the broadcast about Derek Dietrich. He took one day off, and then he kept on hitting. And, uh, you know, it looks like a couple of our guys took four days off and didn't start hitting again until uh, Friday and maybe haven't even started hitting yet. But, you know, I say that somewhat tongue-in-cheek. But hitting's hard. Hitting is really, really hard. And, uh, you know, this team has never really been built around offense, even when uh -huh. we had Wilson Ramos in the lineup and Matt Duffy in the lineup and Kevin Kiermaier, but it, uh, I'd, I'd like to know what our record is when we don't have Wilson Ramos and Matt mm. Duffy in the lineup, and also how many runs per game we score, because it sure doesn't seem like a lot, because those two are two of the biggest keys to this uh, offense for the most part this season. Like I said, you've got the number one hitter on your team in Matt Duffy, who goes up there and puts bat to ball and moves the baseball around, and then you've got really a, a, a pure presence in the lineup in Wilson Ramos that, you know, again, he may not hit a home run all the time, but Pitchers have know where Wilson Ramos is in that lineup. And right now, I know they probably know where C.J. Crone is to a certain extent, but I'm not sure they're really too concerned about any other guys in our lineup hitting the ball out of the ballpark. 
I, I don't doubt that. And, you know, it's a shame because here we are All-Star Week. We just had uh, Blake Snell and Kyle Snyder. And, and, you know, in this weekend, you would hope that the momentum continues. And really the story is, hey, Blake coming off the All-Star game and the team's on a nice run. And, and you were, you're going to be, what, five days into the post-All-Star break play before he makes a start. But I think his growth, you know, we talk about all the youth on this team. His growth has really been, to me, the biggest storyline for this team this year. I think without a doubt, he has been fun to watch. You know, we saw him start to get the ball rolling his last nine or ten starts of 2017. Kept that going through spring training and obviously has built on that all the way to, you know, be, becoming an all-star and how dominant that he's been and how consistent he's been. You know, you look at the number of starts where it's been two earned runs or fewer. It's just about every one. You know what you're going to get when he goes out there. Sure, certainly he stubbed his toe uh, in Minnesota. That's going to happen over the course of a season, 32, 33 starts. But overall, you send Blake Snell out and you know that he is going to put you in a position to win that ball game. Not only that, but get deep into the game too. B.A., what about the fact, though, that his routine is interrupted? Now, you could say that about all these guys, and we've kind of touched on it from a hitting standpoint, but there's Blake Snell, had the really uncharacteristic rough outing in Minnesota. Then he doesn't pitch for a couple days. Then he pitches in the All-Star game. Even he said he was a little nervous, gives up a home run, and now he hasn't pitched really since. So if you're into being a creature of habit as a pitcher, that and he's one of the only guys on this team that's getting the ball every fifth day, I think it is a challenge for him. He'll be facing the Yankees next, and that's you know it's it's a little more adversity for him. It is, but you know this is where you sit down with uh, with Kyle Snyder, your pitching coach, and you go over a plan of action. What do you have to do to feel comfortable? Is it extra bullpens? Do you need to go out go out and face a couple of hitters in a in a one or two inning simulated game just to get the feel of somebody standing in the box? All of that is uh, you know very individual you know if you will and so it, it just depends on what is going to get Blake Snell comfortable but you know that they have a plan in action they've thought this you know the same thing that you're talking about they have thought about that they have game plan for it and I'm sure everybody's on the same page and 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 certainly you hope that he goes out there and hits the hits the ground running from a guy that started game three of the World Series whose schedule leading up to that was completely uh, wacky. There was nothing normal about that. So no. I think you speak with more than a, a little degree of credibility. There. Well, and it's pitching. You know, it's pitching. What do you have to do to stay sharp? What do you have to do to stay sharp and stay ready? The, you know, and Blake Stone knows how to pitch. And so what is going to give me the best chance that when I get back out there on the mound, I am not going to miss a beat? And like I said, maybe it's an extra bullpen session. Maybe it's a couple of guys standing in and you go through some scenarios. Uh, whatever it may be, I'm sure he's going to be just fine. Yeah, and, you know, it's not necessarily a soft landing, but maybe uh, it's going to be uh, a challenge for him to go up against the Yankee team that he's had some struggles against uh, on the road this year. But, you know, that that's what Blake's going to have to learn. It's all those little things you learn as you get a little further along in your major league career. And, you know, if he was able to mow through some of the guys like he did in the National League lineup, uh, he shouldn't have a whole lot of problems uh, trying to do the same against the New York Yankees. I just think it's his conviction to his fastball. And I think the other thing that I've really noticed from Blake and B.A., you might be able to uh, you know, second this, is the fact that last year when he would give up a hit on his fastball, you wouldn't see the fastball then for a while, or you wouldn't see it for a strike. And then last year if he gave up a hit on a breaking ball, if it was the curveball, you wouldn't see the curveball for a while. He's not running away from any particular pitch this year. Guy gets a hit, he still keeps his whole arsenal together, and I think that's why he's been so good. Yeah, it, it's the confidence, and, and that speaks to his confidence level and the fact that he knows, listen, I've got four 
above average to elite pitches. And just because I give up a hit on one of them, well, so what? I'm not going to run away from it like you said. You know, there are some nights where he's going to be more slider dominant than, than curveball. We've seen that. Then we've seen the curveball kind of take center stage. Whatever on that night, that particular night is working. Uh, but he has been a, a pleasure to watch, and, and I think that he finally has found the formula. I know what it takes to have success, and so, you know, he's got that kind of baked into his DNA now, and that's what he does each and every time out. Big part of this is the mental game, too, and I think the mental game this time of season plays a lot on guys. We're near the trading deadline. How difficult is this whole period, and what are you guys most looking forward to after the deadline? Because I would assume we're going to even see more youth. I would think so. I mean, we've said from the very beginning that this team is going to get younger along the way. And, and I would I would kind of hope that maybe it's before September. Let's get a read on some of these guys like Ian Jabot. I mean, that's a guy that I think is the next guy to come up at some point that has the big fastball that, you know, we haven't seen him. So it's hard to know what his development is like. So you've got to trust the front office. But when you got that big fastball at some point, let's – Let's give it a test drive here. I mean, they did it with Alvarado. They've done it with Castillo. They've done it with Jamie Schultz. I know that's the kind of the guy that I think pitching-wise I'm looking forward to finally see this power bullpen come to fruition. Yeah, and, and I think right now we'll probably have to wait until after August 1st to see that all mm-hmm. kind of come together because uh, you don't want to start to manipulate your 40-man roster and then all of a sudden maybe you do trade one of our pieces but you get two 40-men back, then what do you do? So I'm sure right now uh, that's what Eric Neander and Hein Bloom are working on, trying to figure out, all right, how do we open up some lanes for these guys, but also don't cause some roster problems later on into the month of August. So I, I, I think I'd love to see those guys, uh, especially before September 1st, because, I mean, I know our schedule in September is going to uh, be against some teams that might be in the race, but also against some teams that aren't. So one thing you run into in September sometimes is that you've got your guy that you called up from AAA pitching against guys that he pitched against in AAA already, and it's really hard to get a read. I mean, you don't want to fall – too much and have that September crush, but I'd rather see some guys come up in August and pitch against the likes of the Yankees and the Red yeah. Sox and, and see how they're going to do. Well, and, and here's the other thing. And when you start to think about the the tradable assets, you know, it's kind of switching gears here that the, that the Rays have. You think about there's a lot of talk uh, around Wilson Ramos. Well, uh, the, you know, you're not going to be able to move him, obviously, at this point. Now, all of a sudden, Echeverria, you know, is another guy. A lot of talk around him. Well, you're nine days out, and he comes out of a game with an oblique. How comfortable is another team trading for that? So all of a sudden, some mm-hmm. of these tradable assets uh, may not be so tradable at this point. So, you know, we'll have to wait and see. But that's what I'm interested in, seeing how they're going to manipulate this roster when you thought that maybe those were a couple of spots mm-hmm. that they may open up for, you know, with prospects coming in. Maybe not now. So we'll wait and see. Good stuff. Enjoy the call today. Thanks for being with us. I will. Thank Absolutely. You. All right, let's pause for station identification on the Race Baseball Network. This is 620 WDAE St. Petersburg. It is gone! WBTP HD3 Clearwater and 95.3 FM. Home of the Rays. Well, we continue on this week in Rays Baseball. Time to take a look at things on the minor league side. And the Rays actually have the best winning percentage among any organization at the minor league level. And joining us to talk about that and much more is one Mitch Lukovic. Mitch, congratulations on what's been a pretty good three- to four-month run for your minor league clubs. Yeah, thanks, Neil. We appreciate that. And things are going well in the minor leagues. And you mentioned about the win-loss record. We believe in winning. Some don't feel that winning is important in the minor leagues. We feel winning is really important in the minor leagues through proper player development. We're not going to 
pinch hit in the lower levels or righty on righty, lefty on lefty, and do some of those things. We need to learn about the player when they get to the double AA, A, triple A level. We might do more of that so the players um, get more of a major league feel for things, Neil. But, uh, yeah, we want to win. If we're going to play the opposition, we're, we're just not going out there. We're, we're going out there to win a baseball game. With the success you've had, not only from a team standpoint, and we'll get into some individual stories, do you feel better about the farm system now than you did, let's say, on April 1st? Well, we didn't start out as well as you would like. But a lot of times in our farm system, we're moving players up. They're at a level for the first time, Neil. Um, last year, we were the youngest uh, major league team for the four, you know, uh, full season leagues, full season clubs. I would think we are pretty close to up there again this year. So when a young player takes on a new level, it, it's different for them. They might not come out of the out of the gates uh, firing right away. Then they start catching up to the league. Some of them surpass the league and. Uh, yeah, we're, we're right where we want to be right now, I can tell you. There are a lot of good stories. I would think, to me, at the top of the list are the evolution of two kids who maybe weren't as heralded, Nate Lowe and Brandon Lau. Is that fair? Well, it, it's fair more so in, in Nate's case. In Brandon's case, he led the Florida State League in seven categories. He got to double A. He sputtered a little bit after that. But once he got to triple A, you're right, he really took on – and, and took off, and he's surpassed, you know, all expectations. And good for him. And Nate, and in Nate's case, I mean, he was player of the month for two months in the Florida State League. He was in the league uh, last year at the end. And, you know, he didn't do as well as we were hoping. Uh, he made some adjustments, and he's on fire. And he's still on fire in double A. Mm-hmm. played in the Futures game. We're really proud of that. And, uh, that, that's a that's a great story with a wonderful young man. He played in the Futures game with Jesus Sanchez, and I would think the evolution of some of your Latin American players has to also be a big part of this year. You know, Jesus, Ronaldo Hernandez, Vidal Brujan, and Moises Gomez, all of those guys in Bowling Green with Jesus in high A. Um, Jesus was your first signed position player to play in the Futures game from Latin America. That had to mean an awful lot. Means means tremendous. It's just words can't express is it's not that easy in in latin america and we finally broke through with jesus sanchez in the last four years um carlos rodriguez who heads up our international signings with steve miller and bobby heck they've done a bang-up job getting that right raw resource to us and player development and us trying to get the most out of the player get the potential out of the player and Jesus Sanchez is, is one of them. We're really proud of it. But like you said, we have Vidal Brujan, Ronaldo Hernandez, uh, Moises Gomez, the baby bull, you know, uh, playing for our Bowling Green Club. And more are coming. And that's the bright spot for the Tampa Bay Rays. And the one I keep hearing about is only 17 years of age in Wander Franco. And are you amazed at all at what he's accomplishing in Princeton as a kid who just came over to the States so far this first month and change? I am amazed. He has wonderful skill, ability. But when you're 17, you're 17 years young, coming over to the States, he came a little bit last year. He came this year for spring training, and now we advanced him. We didn't put him in the Gulf Coast, mm-hmm. really, because his 
Gill said, put him in Princeton. But he's hitting 384. He's like, there's only two 17-year-olds in this league. And I am amazed because, not because of the skill so much, but the adjustment of everything in a 17-year-old is most amazing to me. And he has wonderful intangibles, and he can really hit nail, and he's showing it. To me, the most amazing thing when I look at numbers, and look, I don't get to see him. Your guys get to you know see him up close, is that, I think he had struck out eight times his first 118 plate appearances. And usually at that at that young age, they're willing to expand the strike zone to try and do more. It's amazing that he doesn't try and do more than, than what he's capable of doing. No, no doubt I'm starting to chuckle because, you know, when you come over, uh, young kids primarily and Latin kids as, as well, they're swinging at balls over their head in the dirt. Their, their proficiency of watching a baseball in the zone and swinging at it isn't the best, but when you say in Wonder Franco's case, he's only walked, what, eight times or struck out eight times, he's putting a bat on the ball, and that's telling your, your hand-eye ability. It's just phenomenal. Now, with that being said, you know, he needs to learn to play the game. You know, he, he's hitting and he's playing shortstop and playing, playing fairly well at it, but when you're in Latin America, all they do is train for tryouts. It's not like here in the United States. Our kids go to Little League, Connie Mack, Teener League, mm-hmm. American Legion, we're high school. We have all these programs, college, junior college, prior to them coming to you know the United States, prior to coming to professionally, so they know how to play the game better. And Wonder at 17 has not done that. And so he's learning every day how to play the game of baseball. Hitting, off the charge. Fielding, He's doing great. But at 17 and not having the background of a lot of the U.S. players, because we have these programs here, this is where we need to catch up. But he has, he's a happy young man. Um, he's enthusiastic. He loves to play. So you can see him learning as he goes. But he has some catching up in that area. But I guess, Neil, if you don't hit, you know, <laughs> you don't worry about the other stuff. And, and he can hit. No doubt about that. The other story in your short season, Clubs, is kind of a comeback story. Chris Betts, with what he's doing in Hudson Valley right now, he missed a few years' time due to injury. At least by the numbers, it looks like he's starting to round into form. Sadly, when we signed him, he had an elbow history, an elbow injury, surgery, a long, you know, hard comeback, got hurt again. We couldn't get him back up. We couldn't get him going. And finally... He's healthy, but what's taken place as he has gotten healthy, and it's over years, it's not over a month, he's mentally has grown up. You know, you take young high school players, they're not mentally as developed at the time, but the mental maturation, and I say this all the time when we talk, Neil, most of the time when high school players, physically they're ready, but they're not mentally ready. It's taken Chris a little bit of time for this, and that's the Besides being healthy, this is a big change, and you're seeing the skill now come out because he's mentally and physically ready to take on pro baseball. With all the the good stories here, the one that I think is understated a little bit, he's kind of flown under the radar maybe. I don't know. Kian Wong, I mean, I look at his numbers. This looks like the best year that he's had in your system. And and showing some occasional power. I I thought when he came in, you know, he could hit, and he's shown he could hit all along in his career. He's gotten better in the field to where now he can play second, he can play third. 
We put them out in the left field. You know we love versatility in this mm-hmm. organization. But now he's shown that he can sting the ball a little bit. He's just not a single hitter, and he's grown. You know, again, a high school player that's not that physical when you find him, that over the course of time, you know, our bodies grow up, our bodies develop. We get strength, you know, along with what we do, and now he's come into his own, and he's having one heck of a year for our Durham club. He's on the radar, no doubt about it. You know, probably you've had so many good stories. Would the only negative be and is some of the injuries you've had? I mean, losing Bonda, Honeywell, DeLeon, uh, I knew Drew Stratman to Tommy John, Garrett Whitley losing a year of development. Would that be kind of the, the biggest difficult area for you as a group? Without question, and we need to sit down. You know, we need to analyze it. Analyze the good. You need to analyze the not so good. What is there anything that stands out that may, you know, tribute to some of these injuries? We're not sure. We talk about it all the time. we got to get together as a group and evaluate. You mentioned all those pictures. You know, um, Brenda McKay had a little setback with an oblique, and that, and that hurts. You know, Strotman, Austin Franklin, having Tommy John, and uh, we need to look at it. Injuries are so prevalent in all the sports. But, okay, how can we avoid it? How can we look into our training habits, our workloads, and try to get the number down. So these, and, and, you know, there are really good players. You're talking DeLeon, Honeywell, Drew Strotman, Austin Franklin. You mentioned, you know, uh, Banda, and uh, they're really good players that are hurt. So we need to really look into it, and that's probably the negative so far this year. Well, there's been a lot of good to go along with it. Uh, Mitch, we appreciate a few minutes, continued success, and I'm sure we'll be talking at the end of the year about some really good awards uh, that these kids have earned. Well, thanks for having me, Neil. Have a great day. And that is Mitch Lukovich, Rays Director of Minor League Operations. More on this week in Rays Baseball after this on the Rays Baseball Network. Time now for our latest feature on 20-year employees in his 20th anniversary season. Paul Harker, Major League Medical Coordinator. I started in November fourth of 1996. I think the thing that I most remember was interviewing for the position of AAA athletic trainer. That interview took place in late October of uh, 1996, and I met with Ken Crenshaw and Chuck Lamar. It was a pretty cool thing to be at the start of an organization at that year. They had basically only had a uh, GCL and they had the team up in Butte, Montana. So knowing that you were one of the first probably 50, 60 employees <laughs> hired, it was, uh, it was kind, of a, kind of a neat thing. What's been the best part about all your time working for the race? I think seeing the transition from an organization that went through its bumps and bruises for the first you know, 10 years of its, its existence and see it evolve to uh, very rapidly – to uh, a team that was a World Series contender and then became a, a playoff postseason contender on a regular basis. And now seeing that whole process have to be kind of rebuilt, doing it still without the resources that a lot of the other teams have, I think that's kind of pretty gratifying when when you look at you know how we're handcuffed sometimes financially compared to some of the uh, big market teams. What do you consider your personal greatest accomplishment with the organization? I would say just 
getting all those guys back, probably J.P. Howell, a very significant surgery that he had on his shoulder and seeing him be able to come back and, and, and pitch for four or five more years at the big league level, that was that was pretty gratifying. I mean, I could probably rattle off, you know, a dozen other guys, but that one was pretty special. You probably have some funny or embarrassing stories that have happened over the years. Do you have one about yourself you'd want to tell in the 20-plus well, everybody probably knows that uh, I pretty much take care of the hydrotherapy room. It's kind of one of my tasks that I've, I've always done uh, ever since being at the major league level. I can't remember exactly what year it was. I want to say it was 2013. The, the space is pretty tight around our plunge pools and, and stuff. And um, one day I was uh, going in to do some testing on the, on the water in the pool and and I misstepped and uh, slipped and fell, unfortunately, into the plunge pool that was uh, our cold plunge. And <laughs> I remember Matt Moore, uh, he was rehabbing from his Tommy John, and he was actually back in the training room. I think he was the only one that actually witnessed it. And once he realized that I hadn't broken anything or I wasn't severely hurt, uh, he was he was horse laughing me pretty good. That's probably my most embarrassing moment, but at least I can say it's only happened once in the 20 years that I've been doing that. And let's hope for his sake it doesn't happen again. Congrats to Paul Harker and 20-plus years with the race and hopefully many more great works to come from him and great work to come too. Hey, last week we spoke with Sue Sternberg about the design plans for the Ray's new ballpark in Ybor City. I also spoke with project manager Pat Tangen, designer Norman Freeman, and urban planner Brian Smith of the design firm Populous. And I first asked about of Norman and Brian about the relationship they've had with the Rays and how it's helped in the process. You know, we had a great time working on the waterfront ballpark a decade ago, and since then we've done spring training with them, uh, some renovation studies of the TROP, the batter's eye, it used to be sort of a bunker of a of a restaurant, and now it's kind of this cool open platform, and the cross aisle now extends the concourse all the way around. So I've, I feel like I'm in Tampa quite a bit. How has this process been maybe unique from others that you guys have been involved in? You've been involved in so many stadium and facility projects over the years. What made this one unique? Well, the Rays have really challenged us uh, because when they talk about a ballpark reimagined, that really means breaking all of the traditional design rules for ballpark stadium design. And what I mean by that is that the Rays really challenged us uh, with everything, seat widths to seating tread widths to location of suites to how the dugouts are configured to our roof design that we have now. I mean, we went through a lot of different iterations because they wanted to truly understand why it was almost like a lot of data analytic collection to make the best decisions possible. So how did you arrive at at this solution and how many iterations of design does this process go through? Norman? Well, we, we started, as I had said, with a ball flight envelope, uh, to sort of help figure out size and shape of the roof. And then structural engineers uh, suggested various ways to structure it. But, you know, what what we see today is it's not that far from our starting point, but after we had looked at that original design, we looked at 20, 30 other different possible roof designs. And 
you know, the structural engineers came up with tonnages of steel for several of those designs too. And at the in the end, uh, between price, efficiency, and aesthetics, uh, we settle on this one. Brian? Yeah, I, th- I think one of the things we, we hope that people have picked on quickly is how contextual uh, the building is with the place. And that's always a challenge for us, as, as the guys have already talked about a little bit, is doing a building that looks like it belongs there. And we intentionally made the north side of the building really respond to Ybor City, the south side of the building that faces the water. We uh, uh, intentionally tried to make respond to channel sides. So I think that was that was a, a story that we came across very early in this process, and if st- and everybody realized it's a valid story, and we've stayed with it, and uh, and will continue to do so as the design evolves. From other designs, I know you know the Rays wanted this one to be kind of a very new age ballpark. Where is this, at least from a design standpoint, and obviously things can change over time, but where is this different from others um, that have been created? And how does this kind of maybe take the next step in terms of facilities and ballparks? Norman? I mean, the parts and pieces of it have all been revisited. Every every programmatic box that you check for, concession, concourse, you know, what could you do with a backstop net? What can you do with a batter's eye? Uh, last night, Stu, you know, he was like, can we put a video board in the backstop in the batter's eye? Can we? Can it be transparent? Can it switch on? And uh, All of those things that we've done on other ballparks that are generally, you know, close to a given. This is the way, this is how we lay out concessions. The Rays have said, reimagine it, come up with a new way. And we've talked to food service providers on, are there, are there, other newer ways to do it. And if you look in airports where you go to the waiting area and there's a bunch of iPads there and you're ordering your food from an iPad, it's like, why can't we do that there? Stu likes the idea of in-seat service, like lots and lots of in-seat service. Why are you getting up and leaving the game to go to a, to a concession when, the, when food and drink can be brought down to you? Aesthetically, you know, there's a, there's a tradition in some of our ballparks that are kind of bricks and arches, uh, which are you know just great for the cities that they're in. But that's not that's not what's in uh, Tampa. So you know we see Tampa as progressive, as a you know more contemporary design associated with the city, but also sort of uh, stepping down to the more traditional Ebor City, which you know Ebor City is not in other cities. So it is it has to be unique to Tampa and Ybor City. So how, how do you work with, let's say, locals um, as this progress continues uh, to make sure that you're maintaining that local authenticity for Ebor? Our plan is to to work with a local Ebor architect, uh, probably a small firm, but is really rooted in Ebor uh, with a lot of project experience and knowledge and know-how of specifically of Ybor City. And we want to take that information with him and collaborate with him or her to really make the outside skin feel so authentic to Ybor City. What are you guys most proud of regarding this project to this point? Because uh, obviously it's a little bit more unique than maybe some of the others you've done. Brian? I think as uh, uh, me being an ur- – I'm not an architect. I'm an urban planner. And I think for me the thing uh, that is, is the, the most interesting and maybe the thing I'm most proud of is what the contribution of this facility will be to the city it's not it's it's a ballpark experience uh, that will be unparalleled for sure 
but I think it's going to be a contribution to Ebor. I think it's going to be a building that bridges the gap between downtown and Ebor City, and I think it's going to be a benchmark for, um, it's really going to be the jumping off point for the next 25 years of development uh, in this part of the city. So that's what I'm uh, most excited about. Norman? One of the things I really enjoyed was the approach to, to design, especially of the roof. Oftentimes, you know, as architects, it's like, well, let's come up with a cool shape for the roof. Let's come up with a cool appearance and then figure out how to hold it up and figure out, you know, does it, does it miss the flight of the ball? Uh, on this one, we started out with what is the most efficient roof that we can put up that misses the flight of the ball. Obviously, balls hit the rings of the trop, and that's com- you know completely unacceptable. So we approach the the architectural and structural design in uh, t- creating as as tight a volume to that ball flight envelope as possible. Anything that you wanted to add to that, Pat? Well, I think for me, it's the fact that this ballpark will be tailored for the Rays. I mean, from a baseball standpoint. And the playability of the of the team and and the field, its geometry and and the way it looks and feels and acts will be for the Rays. I mean, Stu and his baseball guys have really had a lot of good input with us to 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 wanting to make this a truly great baseball experience, and that's the part that I'm most proud of. Is that unique? I mean, I, I would assume most organizations want that, but is it, how is it different? Well, it's not unique, but it's unique to each of the clubs that we work with, and they all have different wants and needs. And Mr. Sternberg has been very clear to us about making this the best baseball experience that it can be for their fan base. He's passionate about that, and that energizes us to make it the best ballpark that we can. You know, I think when this process started, the the hope was, hey, people look at Camden Yards 20-some-odd years later and see it as, you know, it's still, it's timeless, so to speak. How does maybe this design or this um, facility take the next step so that maybe 25 years after it's built, people are saying the same thing, we want the next Rays ballpark? We want this ballpark to be an icon for Tampa Bay. We said that in the presentation yesterday, but we really mean it. And the fact of the matter is is that we want this to be the number one attraction on the Tampa tour, is that we want people to come to this because it becomes an icon for that city. And I think it's going to become that. Along with that is an experience that's unparalleled in baseball so that when you come from out of town or you're you're an in-town person that the experience of going to the game is like none other. Norman? Yeah, I think I'm mean, to ask an architect to design something that's timeless. You're certainly not going to know what's what's happening in 2050 or 100 years, but I think what you want to avoid is trends like design something because that's what's in now. You want to design something that's, you know, for the place, for the city and for the people. And thanks to the folks from Populous for being on our show and all our guests on the program today. Coming up, the pregame show, and thanks for being with us. This is the Rays Baseball Network. Thank you for listening to This Week in Rays Baseball. Driven in the air to center field. Kiermaier going back at the wall, jumps up, and makes the catch. If you missed any of the show, catch it on archive at RaysBaseball.com slash radio. rises up, lowers to the belt. A look towards first, he pitches. Swing and a miss, he struck him out. The Rays have held on. Keep it right here. The Rays pregame show is next.
It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.